0: Hey, I know you're here for the podcast, but give me 30 seconds to talk about a new service we just released for anyone working in a CPG brand. Finding the perfect co-packer or supplier can be a real pain. You spend hours Googling options, texting your colleagues, asking around different Slack groups, and still you get nothing. That's why we created Fiddle Connect Consulting, a done-for-you service that does all of the hard work of finding your dream co-packer or supplier. Best of all, it's 100% guaranteed, and you get three free months of Fiddle Inventory Operations software included. Interested? Just go to lp.fiddle.io forward slash FCC. That's lp.fiddle.io
1: forward slash FCC. Now, on with the episode. Welcome to the Physical Product Movement, a podcast by Fiddle we share stories of the world's most ambitious and exciting physical product brands to help you capitalize on the monumental change in how, why, and where consumers buy. I'm your host, Ken Ojuka. In this episode, we talk with Laura Modi, CEO and co-founder of Bobby. Bobby is a popular organic and European-style infant formula product that's growing like crazy. Laura talks about her journey from working for Google and Airbnb and how she made her way from the tech industry to the world of physical products. She talks about her frustrations that led to her creating a new and better baby formula product and the challenges of launching that product into a regulated and competitive industry. She talks about embracing science to figure out tough problems, and the importance of surrounding yourself with a strong team of experts. We also talk about why women, and especially moms, need to start more businesses, and why they make some of the best entrepreneurs. Laura, was a pleasure to talk to, and I think you'll enjoy this interview. Hey, Laura, how you doing? Good, happy Friday. Yeah, happy Friday to you too. Hey, thanks for jumping on the call with me, appreciate it. Of course, of course, delighted to be here. So uh, where are you calling uh, from?
0: Well, I am calling from my office slash basement of my house in San Francisco, uh, but originally from Ireland.
1: Yeah, yeah. And uh, I'm sure the listeners are hearing the accent. Um, (laughs) And so um, how, how long have you been in the States then?
0: Lived here now 12 years. I always thought I'd kind of just pop over, maybe spend a year or two, and I haven't left.
1: Well, nice, nice. Well, we'd like to kick these off by um, just hearing a, a quote uh, from you. Um, you know, maybe maybe something that that's impactful to you, some words that you live by. Uh, is there anything that comes to mind?
0: Mm, yeah, I always say um, it's not rocket science unless it's rocket science, and it's just a philosophy I live by in so many different ways, which is just. The the, most things in life are way more simple than we make them out to be. And I think humans in, uh, and especially those that, uh, you know, are, are, you know, within the intellectual space, they make things more complicated than they need to be. So
1: it's not rocket science unless it's rocket science. Well, I love it. I love it. So I I don't know what comes to mind. Do you have an example of of something like that, that, that maybe you've seen or experienced?
0: Yeah. I mean, I I could get into just even the industry that I'm in, you know, like I get this all the time. It's like, wow, you know, you make infant formula. That must be so hard. Like, how did you ever even get started with that? And, you know, when you really break it down to its most simplistic form, it's powdered milk. I mean, that's what it is. And, you know, obviously the steps to get it off the ground, not trying to completely dumb it, dumb it down. I mean, yes, it was a long journey and it took a lot of sweat, but it's, it's not as complex as, as the, what often is your very first reaction to something. And the more you get into it, the more you experience, the more you learn, the more you realize
1: it really might simple. All right, And I love that example. And, and of course, you know, in this interview, we're going to um, dive into your company and and, you know, I, I really want to get some details there. But before we do that, uh, could you just give us a little bit more about your background? Um, it looks like you've, you've you have a pretty interesting background and you've spent some time you know, in Silicon Valley working for some of the notable uh, Silicon Valley companies like Google and Airbnb. But, you know, I want you to take us back just you know, even before then, you know, um, you know, what what were you like as a kid? What did you want to do? And and how did that lead you, you know, to eventually make your way over from Ireland?
0: So I actually grew up in, I grew up in an entrepreneurial family. Uh, Our family is... Uh, they manufacture and distribute uh, PPE clothing, actually. Oh. And, you know, for 2020, I would say that, and people would look at me cross-eyed, no idea what I was talking about. Um, very unsexy industry, but massively required uh, and we've all obviously come to learn that um so come from honestly come from like the manufacturing background and it was a big focus growing up with you know high vis jackets hard hats and masks um so uh that that's kind of the family i grew up in and being from an entrepreneurial family you you find yourself learning about starting a business and contributing to a business and playing a role in the development of a business very early on. My dad took a, a very fond interest in making sure that kind of the entrepreneurial conversations started at our dinner table. And mm. uh, I'm the eldest of five, and I vividly remember, they're some of my favorite memories, all being around the dinner table, having... Very deep conversations about what society needs, uh, what products we need to see on the market, uh, and even allowing us to contribute to the insights of where he was obviously building with his company, and and playing a role in in developing our family business. So, um, it was always in our blood.
1: Hmm, that's awesome. And did you guys uh, end up, you know, working in in, in his company as? you know, as you were growing up, did you have an opportunity to do that?
0: I, I don't know if I call it an opportunity or more of like <laughs> forced parenting, you know. I mean, yes, I think we, we all enjoyed uh, being able to, whether it was for summers or certain breaks or internships, you get to play a role in the business. Uh, but I think there was just a level of expectation that came with it too. And yeah, it was it was a great education, a huge education. I think what comes of that too is the reality that, what you can bring back to a family business um, is even more valuable. So it's very important. And another thing that was fostered very early on was he didn't want to see us immediately walk into the family company. He wanted us to go out and to get, more experience uh, in other companies, in the world of tech, uh, in the world of manufacturing, but maybe in a different industry. So that by the time you end up returning to the family business, if that was your decision, that you're coming back with it with some new value versus kind of the immersion that we got young on. Hmm. So I did that. And, you know, I got to a place where I was it? it? was coming up 2008. And obviously, you know, all those who can remember, uh, everyone was hit hard. And I just thought, I need, I need to get out of the country. I need a new experience. And the concept of moving to America, California, I mean, honestly felt like a dream. Uh, you know, buy a convertible and drive down the 101 was all I knew from watching the movies. So it truly, the whole thing just felt like you know a dream to be able to move to the US. And I, yeah, I applied to Google and was uh, very, very, very fortunate to have you know my landing there uh, as I as I moved over to the states, and that was my my first
1: introduction coming over here. Now it sounds like you had a a bit of a marketing background. Is that what you were mm-hmm. you were doing or or were yeah. you in, into tech? Uh, what, what did you do at Google?
0: Yeah. Um so I was I worked in actually marketing but it was actually more finance. I was a product manager and I was assigned to work on the Google Finance product. Hmm. Now the Google Finance product is for anyone who doesn't know it's you know, a financial information site. So if you're interested in learning anything about the stock market, making investments, you would go to Google finance. You would learn more about the product or the company, the brand that's public. If you wanted to make a trade and I was launched into working on this product and I had zero background in the stock market and understanding anything related to the financial markets. Wow. One, because it's predominantly kind of a guy's world, an old boy's club. There's lingo and, and uh, jargon in that space that unfortunately many women rarely get into. But because it was the product that I was given, I became besotted with every little bit of not only the, the product and feature um, uh, that, that we were building, but the stock market itself. And I became so enthralled by it. I found myself two years in just day trading uh, because I was watching the stock market on a regular basis. And it, it became, I'm to say it was a bad habit, but it was, <laughs> it was certainly one that uh, I, I enjoyed learning.
1: Well, especially at that time, you know, 2007, 2008, you know, there was just yeah. a lot going on with the economy that um, I think all of us were watching the stock market in one way or another, you know, back mm-hmm. then.
0: Yeah. It was a good opportunity too, as as we were seeing kind of the recession and seeing the hit on everyone. Um it woke me up to the need to be educated on what like true investment looked like, and investing and diversifying your investment would look like um so that as you're continuing to grow your experience and your wealth, uh, you're savvy to what it would mean if we went through this moment again
1: right okay yeah that's that's very interesting and and so you made your way from from Google um and you spent some time with uh, Airbnb as well, right? What did you do there?
0: Yeah. It's an interesting story, actually, how I even stumbled on Airbnb. I used to go out to New York on a regular basis with Google. Um, I had an engineering team there and would meet with them once, you know, every two or three months. And I was always being put up in a hotel. And there was one trip where I just couldn't find a room or, you know, they were too expensive based on the budget the company was given. And someone said to me, oh, you should check out this company. You could just rent someone's apartment. And I was traveling out there for work and they were like, yeah, just check it out. It's airbed and breakfast. And, you know, uh, went on and I found myself a two bed apartment in in, what district was it? I, I don't even remember now. And I called my friend in Dublin. I said, you need to get out here. You're five hours away. I'm five hours away. I have a two-bed apartment in New York City this week, and we can just spend the week together. I mean, it was so novel. Like truly, when you think about it, the concept that you could stay in someone else's apartment for a work trip and to come home every evening feeling like a local, cooking dinner, it was the most, I mean, eye-opening experience. And I, I was so besotted with the experience. I found myself at the end of the week going, I need to work for this company. And I, you know, whatever it takes, I will join in whatever capacity I need to work uh, with them because what they're doing is something really special and disrupting an industry that I think only now we can reflect on and go radically needed to see a change. And I contacted someone uh, who connected me with the founder and I said, like, I want to join bring me on in whatever capacity so I joined as one of the earliest uh, operation leaders and uh, moved between growing our uh, hosts and our host uh, host ops org and our customer service org I also got an opportunity to come back to Ireland for a while and open our European headquarters Um, and it was just really running in every direction based on what the business needed
1: So when you joined, how how big was Airbnb and I, and I forget when it actually started. So how, how old was the company and how how many employees did they have at the time?
0: I want to say the company was
1: three years old. Okay. Uh,
0: I joined in 2011 and maybe around a hundred people, maybe less. Okay. Um, and I felt like I joined very late. (laughs) You know, you join and you think, oh man, this has been a fabulous three year journey they've been on because you have no idea when you join kind of a rocket ship like that, what the next few years in the trajectory is going to look like. And it's a journey that, again, I think about kind of the gratitude and fortune I had to be able to join and get that kind of experience because it was nonstop and nonstop only in the way that was. Um addicting and so addicting that then then once it does wind down, you think, how do I get back on another train like that? How do I get that energy back? And ultimately it was starting a company myself, but uh the energy was addicting.
1: Hmm, that's interesting. So um Obviously, you know this isn't a podcast about you know working at, at tech companies. You know you ma- you yeah. made your way from that uh, to the world of physical products. So why don't you tell us a story about how how you ended up you know eventually starting uh, Bobby and you know what what led up to it?
0: Yeah, you're you're right. Coming from the world of tech, the idea of starting a physical product and um, it it felt like a harsh transition. But yet it very much mirrored my my early. I suppose, experience uh, in our our family. So what led up to it was uh, a personal experience. I had my first kid while I was at Airbnb. And one of the most joyous moments in your life was actually one of the most vulnerable and embarrassing experiences that I can remember because I went into it assuming that I would be able to breastfeed. And I thought it would be easy and beautiful and natural and all of that jazz that society can tell, you know, tells you, this is normal. You will be able to breastfeed because all women in society have always been able to do so. And I felt lied to by the world because I struggled to be able to breastfeed my daughter exclusively. And that moment to be faced with the reality that doesn't mirror expectations is it's just heart wrenching especially for something as sensitive and as personal and as fragile as how you feed your baby. I vividly remember standing in the middle aisle of, I'm not going to name it, but it was a pharmacy, Uh choosing a product to feed my child because I couldn't breastfeed. And this product was sitting on a shelf between cat food on one side and diapers on the other and i'm thinking is this really where i'm buying my baby's food my 2 week old daughter who everything i put into this this child i wanted to be gold you know you're growing the most precious thing out there but yet i'm feeding her something where the first ingredient is corn syrup it just seems totally mad that i would be feeding her this and and hence it, it answered the reason why I felt so guilty and so embarrassed about the choice that I was making, and um, even though, I mean, in hindsight, I didn't really have
1: a choice. I had to feed her. So that was the genesis, okay. and so you're you're standing there in this aisle, and um, you know, obviously, not happy with your choices and, and, you know, even just where it's located on the shelf, the presentation, just, just your options in general. Did you start thinking about potentially starting a baby formula company at that point, or did it just start percolating a little bit at that point?
0: Uh just, I mean, yeah, I definitely didn't walk away immediately from that experience thinking I'm going to start an infant formula. But it, what it did, I walked me, it had me walk away going, I need to figure out how I, how I feel less guilty. Mm. So what I did was I just started researching the market. And honestly, like every new mom, you turn into a crazy researcher. You start researching the best infant formulas, you know, where the ingredients come from, you know, what does the market look like? And as all of that research, was happening, you know, over the next few months, I continued to discover that there was few options on the market. And that the majority of parents, 83 to be exact, 83% of parents were turning to infant formula, but yet no one was talking about it. And all of this research over the next few months, you know, if you could imagine kind of the chart here, my knowledge of research was going up. My knowledge was going up and my exhaustion was going down because now my my daughter's getting a bit older. So I get to the end of that first year with her, and I feel like an infant formula expert because I know everything about the market. I know it's dominated by two major companies, and it hasn't seen change in 40 years. I was aware that there was a rampant black market for European infant formula, and that the European infant nutrition standards get updated on a regular basis in comparison to the U.S., this was knowledge that unless you went into that crazy researcher hole, you were never going to know. So I finished that first year going, I know too much to be dangerous here that I, I should do something about this. Like, why isn't there a better option on the market? And yeah, that's when, that's when kind of the percolating turned into kind of the inception and, and ultimately starting the company.
1: Okay. Yeah. Interesting. So, so for those who, you know, don't know your brand, don't know Bobby, what is it and how do you describe it? And and what makes you unique from, from the other uh, baby formulas that you described?
0: So, um, I'll start by saying that all infant formulas need to mirror breast milk. So, you know, As far as one infant formula differentiating to the next, it's really important that all of the recipes are giving you the output that a baby requires. And I always say this because for any mom that's listening, it doesn't matter what brand or product you choose to feed, just remember that your baby is going to thrive and you're making the right choice for them. And compared to any other product out there, that's such an important message for parents to know. The differences and where Bobby kind of stands out is that we have chosen ingredients that go into that recipe that really differentiate to what's on the market. And at the end of the day, the choice of ingredients is is what you can also see in kind of the long-term impact as well. So Bobby is the only infant formula on the US market that is also designed after European nutritional standards. That means that we've matched our levels of vitamins and minerals and ingredients to mirror those that you also see in the European market. And we've done that because the European, um, the European nutritional standards are constantly evolving based on the latest science. The last time it was updated here in the U.S. was in the 1980s. So while we are FDA regulated, we also mirror that of EU nutritional standards.
1: Okay, I see. And th- and those standards are generally considered to be higher, you know, higher standards than what you would see here in the United States. Yeah. Correct. Not only do they evolve, but they're they're usually a little bit more rigorous and and just a little more demanding.
0: They are. I mean, look, I'll, I'll give two very very um, consumer friendly examples. The first is that there is limitations on adding corn syrup to infant formula in the EU. But yet here in the US, if you want hundred percent of the carbs that need to get added to be high fructose corn syrup, you can do that. Um, so there's no regulations put on companies here to make a decision around what ingredients to choose. If you can choose the cheaper one, depending on what kind of company you are, you may choose to do so. Um, Another example is DHA. DHA is a really, really important nutrient for brain development. And the EU came forward and said the minimum requirements for DHA are so high that they exceed any infant formula's decision to put DHA here in the US. And that's their minimum bar.
1: I see. So let's let's dig into the corn syrup um, thing. I know, obviously, you know, in the last few years, um, corn syrup is, you know, it's being removed from a lot of products, you know, at least at least, you know, from what I can see, you know, what, you know, for those that maybe aren't, you know, too dialed into the real impact of corn syrup, and and why, you know, we may not want to consume it. And, and why especially you wouldn't want to, feed it to a baby, you know, could you explain that a little bit, give us a little color on that?
0: Yeah, it, I, it's funny, I, I think I m- might always just assume that it just seems obvious, but it's not because, you know, we use corn syrup for a lot of things. Um, so, first off, we, here in the US, uh, we generate a lot of corn and corn syrup is plentiful. Uh, So it is used as kind of a cheap carb source. And to be fair, it it gives you the output for exactly what carbs are required for. Some of the detriment, or at least the way some of the science is evolving, is showing that too much corn syrup early on can have an impact at an adolescent age. So you often don't see the impact immediately, but that impact could be everything from uh, cognitive development, to weight gain um, at an adolescent age. So just knowing that you could be stunted uh, in in different ways 13, 15 years down the road would give you pause to say, why introduce too much corn syrup at this early phase, knowing it's gonna have a long-term negative implication on our health. And you think of just like zoom out and you think about this country overall, there's so much work to improve our healthcare system. And it really starts with what we're consuming. It starts with what we're consuming very, very early on. It's, it's, a, it's a horrible cycle that we continue to see here, which is if we continue to eat bad food, we will continue to deteriorate our health. And that will continue to put strain on our healthcare system and this, the cycle continues. And it really, really, really starts at a young age. And if your
1: baby's first food is corn syrup, you're already off to a bad start. Yeah, understood. You know, and, and um, you know, I, I know in the in the last few years, you know, I've I've done a lot to cut corn syrup out of out of my own diet, um, and it's largely been from you know one of the 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 uses that you said, which is you know weight management or weight gain, you know, and I've noticed a huge huge difference that way just by by trying to do that. You know, I I just thought it was more interesting from you know uh, looking at it from a baby's perspective, and you know I've got five kids myself, and so we five always five
0: children.
1: Exactly. And, and everything that you're saying actually resonates because we, we have a, an eight week old. Oh. And so we're, we're going through, you know, the new baby at home and, and uh, you know, keeping that baby fed and, and, you know, even some of the stuff on your website about, you know, tummy troubles, you know, that these little infants have, you know. And so, yes, we're, we're experiencing it right now. And so I'm, I'm really happy to have you on the podcast and be talking to you about this. Oh my God. Congratulations.
0: Five kids. Wow. You're, you're making me want to go for a few more. That's incredible.
1: (laughs) Well, let's, let's just say I'm, you know, I wake up every day saying, Oh, five kids. I'm, I'm just as surprised as you. So (laughs) it's, it's interesting.
0: I know. Well, congrats on your, your eight week old.
1: Well, thank you. You mentioned a stat. You said eighty-three percent, and then I'm not sure that I caught the rest of it. Could you uh, could you explain that that stat um, again?
0: Eighty-three percent of parents will turn to infant formula in the
1: first year. Okay, and and why is that? What are the the reasons for that?
0: Well, many, and I'll start with one that has been kind of the the one that we really stand for, which is the modern parent. Today, the parent today looks very different to the parent 40 years ago. When you think about those that need to turn to infant, and I say need to, to start, we live in a place where going back to work after you have a baby is not just happening, it's expected. There's very little paid maternity leave, paternity leave. So for you to go back and work a 40-hour work week and ensure that you're able to Uh, pay for everything else. I mean, you have to make that choice. Do you go back to work or do you stay home with your child? People don't have that choice. So it seems like a very obvious one, which is just how can you expect to exclusively breastfeed your child for 35 hours a week and go back to work? You can't, you just can't. So people are making the choice and they're saying, I have to go back to work. And because of that, I'm going to have to feed my child's infant formula. Then outside of that, there's double mastectomies at a higher rate, surrogacies, adoption, gay couples, people having kids older and on medication, and never mind just the desire to say, I'm done breastfeeding. So when you look at the world that we parent in today... To the one we did in the past with more women in the workplace less options to be able to stay home with your kids and are an array of the uh, the parent figure looking different they're all adding up to why we will turn to infant formula in the first year
1: okay yeah interesting thank you um yeah i wanted to to um you know, change the channel a little bit and, and just talk about uh, a little bit more about the process of actually getting your product developed um, and getting it to market, you know, and so you decided to go down this track, you 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 saw the need for um, a new kind of baby formula. What were your, your next steps? You know, what did you do um, to actually, you know, start sourcing ingredients and find a, a co-packer to help you out with this? I, I assume you guys use a co-packer.
0: We do use a co-packer, yeah, and um, mm-hmm. yeah, it, that, it has been a journey we, uh we have been on this for three years. So it starts with the fact that infant formula requires requires you to meet FDA regulations. So when you think about a spectrum of products in kind of the food and drug space being developed, You have drugs on one end, and they have major oversight by the FDA. And then you have food on the other, which require you to hit certain standards, but it's not like you need to get FDA approval. Right in the middle, between drugs and food, you have infant formula. And you have infant formula because, for all intents and purposes, it's food. It's powdered milk, and it gives you all the nutrients you need. But it's food that's being given to the most vulnerable audience, as the sole nutrition. So it is imperative that the safety and quality and development of this product are world class. And it just requires a lot of oversight. So to I get the question a lot, which is, if this is such a needed product, and if there was, a, if there was an ability to differentiate, why wouldn't we see more options on the market? And because of where it sits on the spectrum is why. For you to meet FDA regulations, you have to work with very specific commands. Here in the US, up until recently, there was only one contract manufacturing facility in the US that really makes infant formula. So first off, you kind of think about that roadblock. Just to get to a place, to someone who can make your product, you're limited by very few options. In fact, no options. (laughs) And then when you do get an opportunity to work with that one co-man, you're beholden to them in many ways. And that means you need, you know, honestly, a lot of capital and time to be able to work with uh, a product that will require FDA regulations, require you to meet FDA regulations. So yeah, we had to raise money. And, you know, to enter the market, as I mentioned, you need the capital and time. We had to raise venture capital and we had to give ourselves three years and, uh, that's what it took. And we just launched into the market in January uh, and we've been on the market now for four months.
1: Okay. All right. And, um, did you end up working with that one, uh, co-man or, or did you find a different option?
0: We did. Uh, we did. And they have been fabulous. Um, truly. The relationship that you build with your co-man and your suppliers, I mean, yeah, I heard about this a lot, kind of of you know, entering into physical product world you start to look at like, what are your key dependencies? And I continue to hear from people like that co-man is going to be everything. So I took, I took it very seriously. And um, the relationship we built with them and the partnership we have with them and the dedication that they give to us from an innovation standpoint and, you know, the desire to explore. And, and I, honestly, they've been one of the best partners um, in a way that I truly can't imagine being here without them.
1: Yeah. And you said the, the partner word, you know, a couple times in that. Um, and I think that's something that a lot of people don't realize that your co-man is a partner in every sense of the word, you know, and, and your success is largely, you know, dependent on, on them and them doing what they say that they're going to do. So, 100%. Really important to find a really good uh, co-man. Okay, so um, I, I, so I'm curious about you know raising money uh, uh, for this. And so how how far along did you have to get um, before you you felt that like you were in a place to then go and pitch this to investors? Um, and, and and what did you have to to show them that that you were the person to actually launch this company and, and be successful in this in this you know in this space.
0: It was probably about eight months, and it started because I found out I was pregnant with my second child when I got the company, you know, started. And I thought, I'm gonna, I'm gonna self fund this. There's no reason why I won't be able to get this off the ground and launch before this child comes. <laughs> in kind of like that naive assumption that you know you could get this off the ground in nine months. And I'll, I'll never forget kind of getting into that last trimester and thinking. The plan is in place. I know the contract manufacturing facilities and the suppliers and I, you know, had like a, a small team of scientists on board. We had our, the most beautiful formulation in place and it got to a point just before I was about to have the child where I realized, no, this journey is going to be a bit longer and uh, for us to do this right, I'm going to have to raise money uh that and also ensure that my relationship with my husband wasn't going to be hurt if I kept self funding this, so uh launched into fundraising and i I don't know if I'd recommend to, to anyone to go out and fundraise eight months pregnant but it definitely added to the story for why I wanted a better yeah. formula.
1: Yeah, no kidding, no kidding. Um, I, I was actually, that could be used to your advantage, right?
0: It could, except, you know, I, I I don't blame probably people who are sitting at the other side of the table thinking, am I going to give you millions of dollars and you're about to have a baby? Right. And... Um, but for anyone who knows a, a mom, especially a new one who is fueled by something that isn't right for their child, nothing stops you. And it, it gives you the fuel to even push further, which was exactly the case. So it was very fortunate. Investors, they saw the opportunity. And, you know, I went in with the due diligence of kind of the plan and and team to demonstrate that this could be executed well. And we had the determination to ensure that we would be a differentiated product. Um, And you could see that in the work to date, which was the formulation in place and the brand we had built. So raised two and a half million about 10 days before having my baby, and had my child, and then got back to work, and and, and deploying that two and a half million dollars to a place that we could look at a product concept that was developed, know that it works, and then went in and raised a second round of funding about a year and a half later. Uh, and I was actually pregnant with my third child for that raise and <laughs> closed four million then. And that four million plus the two and a half got me to a place that um, we were able to launch a FDA regulated product
1: and two babies. So, okay. So you launched um, earlier this year, right? January. Is that right? Correct. Yes. Yeah, so, so how, how is that going? You know, what led up to the launch and, and, you know, did you guys do anything special, you know, to, to actually launch the product and get the word out? How's it going?
0: It's going really well. I, it's, it's one of those products that I always had full faith in. Like you don't need to, you don 't need to test if there 's a product market fit it 's infant formula it 's required and i didn 't need to question like how big the market was it 's pretty clear how many people are having babies every year the The, the unknowns were will this brand resonate and um, I you know knowing that the belief was there in the product, it was just like how quickly can we build awareness and get people to know about Bobby. And the beauty entering again a parent space is if it works it takes off and to watch the organic word of mouth and moms talking on their own forums and seeing it come up across other people's content i mean nothing brings you more joy than seeing a mom in a state that you're not in having no connection to the company you know, tagging you on Instagram. They're tagging their infant formula. <laughs> and it's those small moments. You're like, wow, like how often do people tag? And I won't name other brands, but like, we're talking infant formula and they're tagging this company. It really, I mean, it brings me so much joy to see my physical product out in the wild, sitting on someone's kitchen counter. Um, so much joy.
1: That's awesome. And so um are you guys uh, strictly uh, direct to consumer or have you gotten into some retail outlets as well
0: Strictly direct to consumer today uh, the plan is to go into retail at some point but we're certainly not rushing um this is a predictable and repeatable product and moms parents need it when they need it that our job is just to make sure that we can get it to their doorstep when they when they require it. So we'll we'll continue direct to consumer and probably in the next year or two, we'll find ourselves on a retail shelf.
1: Awesome. Awesome. All right. And, um, and coming up, you know, for the rest of the year, what can you tell us about, you know, what's in store for Bobby? Is there anything that you're, you know, particularly excited about that's, that's upcoming?
0: Yeah. Part of what we're doing in this like upcoming fundraise that I'm very excited about actually is, I have a strong belief that more customers should be investors in products and investors in early companies. And I'm really, really excited to to share that we are going to be launching what we're calling the mother load, where we are going to be inviting our customers and moms to be an early investor in company. So for, you know, a check of a hundred dollars, you can have equity in the company and, watch the journey. And I really hope we can bring around 500 women to the table.
1: That is a fantastic name, the mother mode. <laughs> um, and uh, if somebody was interested in getting involved in that, what, what would they what would they do? How do they find out more about that?
0: I think for the moment, it's just following us on social uh, at Bobby, uh, B-O-B-B-I-E. And yeah, we'll be making announcements when it opens up.
1: Okay. Awesome. Well, let's, uh, let's jump over to the quick fire round. I've just got four quick questions for you. Name one tool or resource that has helped you the most uh, in your current position.
0: Google calendar.
1: <laughs> no, that's a great one. I can't live without that uh, either. Um, no what, what is uh, one book uh, that has helped you?
0: Let the score take care of itself. It's a football analogy, but um even not being a sports person myself, uh, it's very clear how to run and grow and manage a business if you can think of it like managing a football team.
1: Yeah, and that was uh, Walsh, right? Uh, Yeah. um, Coach of the 49ers, is that right? Walsh, exactly. Yeah, that's a great quote. I actually haven't read that book, but I have a a new Amazon uh, or Audible credit that uh, I might use that for, so that's a good recommendation. What is one piece of advice that you would give your 21-year-old self?
0: Don't sweat the answers. The answer is just to sweat. And if I could go back and just realize that it's just about putting one foot in front of the other, just get it done, don't worry about the answers, like truly, just get it done.
1: Nice, I like that. Who is the person... You know, uh, let's limit it i guess to the to the world of business um, or or physical products um, that you would love to take to lunch. Who's somebody that maybe you admire you 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 watch and and uh, you'd love to take to lunch?
0: I'm going to say someone who I've never met uh, I mean obviously I think that's part of the question, but she is also no longer alive, and that is my grandmother, and hmm. she She died at a young age, never got to meet her, but she was an entrepreneur herself. And she created a clothing line back in the day where she had 13 children. And uh, that clothing line today is one of the biggest Irish clothing companies uh, in Europe. And I would do anything to be able to meet her.
1: That's awesome. You really do have uh, entrepreneurship in your blood, huh?
0: I, I do. Most of them I haven't met, but
1: it's there. That's great. Well, um, Laura, this is this has been a good interview. Um I, I think that we've learned a lot from your journey uh, with Bobby and and even just your experience before. Um uh what um you know, what parting advice would you give to those that uh that maybe are are thinking about launching um, a physical products company or, you know, they've launched a, a physical product company and they're, they're currently in the grind. You know, what, what piece of advice could you leave them with?
0: I think the biggest thing is for you to just become the expert. Um, You don't have to be today. If you find a physical product that you're deeply passionate about, immerse yourself into it in a way that you're going to be writing the pieces on it, that you should be giving a lecture on it, a case study on it. Become the expert and then just believe in yourself that you know better than anyone else.
1: I think that's a great place to end. And um, we can certainly see that you've you've done that uh, with the world of, of baby formula. Wish you all the, the best of luck with Bobby. It seems like you are just kicking butt and doing awesome. Um, I appreciate you taking the time. Thank you.
0: Thanks a million, Ken.
1: Okay, we'll talk soon. Bye. The Physical Product Movement Podcast is brought to you by Fiddle. To find out more about Fiddle, and how our industry-leading inventory ops platform is giving modern brands and manufacturers full visibility into their inventory and operations, visit fiddle.io. And then make sure to search for physical product movement in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or anywhere else podcasts are found. Make sure to click subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at Fiddle, thanks for listening.